You are listening to the Regenerative Paradox Podcast, hosted by the co-founders and owners of Paradox and Consulting, Ashley Sloan and Ariana Thornton-West. We are working towards achieving our vision of a world where being a strong steward of the environment, an investor in workforce and community, and a profitable business is no longer a paradox. Rather, the ability to operate with people, planet, and profit in mind is seen as resilient, smart business. We are so excited you're here. Now let's get to today's show. Hello and welcome back to the Regenerative Paradox Podcast. I'm Ashley. And I'm Ariana. And today we're very excited to be joined with the incredible Stephanie Christie, who is the community manager at Salishan. We are going to be talking all about planned communities. So welcome, Stephanie. We're excited to have you here. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. To kick us off, would you mind sharing just a little bit about you and then we'll dive into Salishan and planned communities and all that fun stuff. Sure, sure. I realize me nodding my head doesn't help on a podcast. So, but yes. So I'm Stephanie Christie. Um, I also live in the Salishan community. I've been um, living over here in the east side of Tacoma little over, I think around 10 years now or so, but I grew up in the Tacoma area in general, went back east for school, found a husband, married, brought him back. And so we live here now with our two kiddos. Um, And yeah, I've been working at the Salishan Association. I've been the community relations manager there for a few years. Actually, as of May 10th on Monday, I'll be four years working at the Salishan Association. My my company email reminded me. So... (laughs) Um, yeah, but I, I uh, really enjoy getting to work and live and serve all in the same community because I think it's rare to have that kind of coherence in your life mapped out. Yeah, definitely. Um, what, for our listeners, what what is Salishan? Yes, so Salishan is a master planned community is what they're called. So it's a mixed income neighborhood um, that is both homeowners that uh, own homes. There's about a third that do. And then about two thirds are uh, renters through Tacoma Housing Authority. So they receive governmental assistance for their living situation and other services that might support their family. Um, In addition to two senior buildings actually that are 110 units um, in the neighborhood. And in the future, they're looking to also add a little um, two bedroom apartment complex, about 18 units, but uh, that all got delayed when the pandemic came around. So those aren't here yet, (laughs) but the idea is to create more accessible housing situations uh, for the community and also to create, uh, like I mentioned, mixed income neighborhoods where you don't have this kind of class segregation, you know, based on where you live in a community, but the idea that like actually things are are richer for everyone when you're all together in the same space and have that diversity, um, both of backgrounds and of income. And that also benefits all the other institutions nearby, the, the schools and the stores and uh, all, all the different spaces that you would want in a city to, to be around a neighborhood community. So in Salishan itself, there are 1,134 homes at the moment until the additional 18 <laughs> apartments are eventually added. Um, but we're essentially considered a built out property because uh, of those last apartments are kind of an afterthought based on based on space. And I know Ashley is a lot more familiar with this because she also lives in Salishan, um, but it appears that there's also a lot of like services and different access to things and a ton of events. Can you speak to that at all? 
Absolutely. Yes. So yeah, the Salishan community, um, because it's a planned community and it has all these agencies that are supporting it, there is a uh, association board. So the Salishan Association Board, which is composed of three representatives from Tacoma Housing Authority, their, their staff, and then also two homeowners who are part of the board and then a non-voting rental member um, as another representative for the Tacoma Housing Authority experience side. And then that board creates a budget and and the community pays into it from assessments, either assessments that are paid on their behalf by Tacoma Housing Authority or as a homeowner would normally pay into some sort of HOA. Um, and then the Salishan Associations, the community organization that works with everybody to be able to help foster community uh, cohesion um, by doing lots of different types of programming. So that's where my background is. I get to do community engagement and in, you know, uh, resident empowerment, things around youth and cultural understanding and the arts and communication, both within the neighborhood and also out of it with different community partners. So there's lots of different factors or cooks in the kitchen <laughs> in our neighborhood that are so eager uh, to, to support it and contribute to it. So we have uh, inside of Salishan, there are a few physical institutions that are located inside our neighborhood. So Tacoma Housing Authority has its staff members in a building here. And off of that building, there's a series of classrooms that are called the Family Investment Center. And the community is able to use those for some of the programming and workshops and, and um, celebrations that take place here. Um, similarly, there's the two senior buildings. One is run by KWA and the other is run by Abhow. And both of those also have you know, their own programming that they do for their residents. And then we have um, on the backside of the neighborhood, Lister Elementary School is embedded inside of Salishan and just off the edge of it to the south. So the next neighboring block after, um, after our neighborhood concludes is First Creek Middle School. So most of our middle schoolers attend there. Um, and then the feeder school, we're a feeder school for Lincoln High School, which isn't that far off away. So a lot of our families are, are part of that. Also embedded in the neighborhood is the Eastside Community Healthcare Center. So uh, community healthcare has a few different locations. There's another one out on the hilltop area, but essentially it's all about how to provide quality and accessible healthcare um, to different populations and to connect folks with health insurance and um, pharmacy. The one here is pharmacy, dental, um, regular physicians, and there's also so a room that's used by our association for what we call the Salishan Community Health Advocates. And that is a group of um, stipended volunteers who are residents in the community or were connected at some point to the community uh, that work as community health care workers. So they each put in, you know, some 10 to 20 hours a month uh, helping to advocate for um, the health of our residents, whether it's through educational programming, learning about how to um, cook to prevent diabetes or, or how to cook in a way that manages it or how to learn how to do blood pressure checks. They help the senior buildings do that. And they used to run health health bingo <laughs> with them as well. Uh, when we were able to all be in person, they run walking groups. We have a community garden. There's a lot going on here. I could talk a long time about it all. <laughs> I love it. That's why we're here, right? <laughs> and Ariana mentioned, I do. I also live in Salishan and I have really enjoyed learning, not just about the services that are currently available, but how all of this came to be. Could you speak a little bit to how Salishan happened? 
Yes. So it's a neat history. So I, my background before I came to work here was, was as a history teacher. So, so for me, this was the part that I like, Ooh, yay, let's look at old pictures and stuff. But so Salishan currently is this large scale mixed income community that's located at this, uh, in this historically diverse neighborhood on the East side, but its roots are back actually during world war two. So in world war two, it was built as a federal workers housing, um, during the war. So that was in the 1940s. Um, and there are lots of old pictures of what the community looked like. And interestingly enough, it was one of the only neighborhoods around here that was constructed as a, a non-segregated neighborhood. Um, so the it was very diverse from its very beginnings. Um, and then it became, um, over time, after it was no longer used for federal housing, they, they turned over the property to Tacoma Housing Authority to provide housing assistance to those who might need it. This was very similar to another property too in Seattle. There's a property called High Point. Same thing, they were a 1940s World War II worker housing. Um, and then they were able to convert it into a, a you know, just, just regular federal, uh, locally supported housing through Seattle Housing Authority. So it's a common, a common uh, trend of what happened to these properties that were built. So anyhow, but over time, because the infrastructure really wasn't created to sustain that many families over that length of time, a lot of things began to deteriorate, um, including the, the infrastructure, the, the pipes for water, like it just wasn't able to keep up with the demands of the quantity of people that were living in this community. Um, and I think uh, that was something that weighed heavily on the Tacoma Housing Authority staff and their director. Director, uh, Michael Mira, he, you know, saw all this and just thought like, this is, this people deserve more than what this space is able to provide. We need to find a way to revitalize the neighborhood and its physical structures. So in 2003, um, they became the recipients of a $35 million Hope 5 grant. Oh no, Hope 6 grant, sorry. Hope 6 grant. Um, and that allowed the neighborhood to have this revitalization. So they ended up demolish. Uh, uh, they helped all of the residents to find another location to stay at, whether temporarily they were welcome to move back or if they wanted to permanently leave the neighborhood, they were supported to do that too. Um, and then they demolished the entire neighborhood. <laughs> they demolished all of the buildings for the most part. There was a one historic row that has the original buildings, uh, which is what the Salishan Association's in, those little short little buildings up along uh, East, East R Street. But the, uh, yeah, so they de demolished everything and then they rebuilt approximately like 1,300 or so dwelling units. And that included these, you know, 400 or so single family homes that would be for sale at market rate. Um, but this is the largest residential development in the history of the city of Tacoma. So it made a splash both here and also nationally. Um, because they didn't want to just build the neighborhood to have enough homes for people, but they thought, well, this is an opportunity to build it in a way that can reflect some of our other values, how to be more environmentally sustainable, how to create beautiful spaces to work and interact. Um, and so in addition to, uh, what's it called? LED, Platinum Certified Construction, that has to do with the, the way that they built the property. Um, Salishan also was built with this advanced system of bioinfiltration soils. So it was designed to collect and retain surface water in the neighborhood instead of all of it going straight out to Puget Sound. So it's a way of like help, helping, helping the environment and being more sustainable. And then they also built it thinking about the routes that people would take as walk, like, you know, to walk for children with the schools nearby. Um, they thought about green spaces. So they're still, they left extensive green belts that are here around the neighborhood and through it. Um, 
And anyhow, but the project just, it won all these national awards for housing design, neighborhood scheme, affordability, and an, I think, and, and environmental innovation, um, as well as our sister property up at High Point. They have a, they are even more extensive in their environmental in in innovation, and they have like a full-time on-site team that, that has to care for all of their special plants and um, bioswales uh, up there. But anyhow, so now uh, Tacoma Housing Authority partners with the Management Trust, which is my, my parent organization, um, to help with managing all of the services that are provided for the residents here. Um, so there's this homeowner management services for the Salishan community in addition to the property management from Tacoma Housing Authority. That is amazing. It's a very like rich history and really cool to see like how it came together and how it was really like interwoven with like the social and environmental needs. There's some really compelling research out there around the benefit of planned communities and how um, just in, in many different health ways, environmental and social, how it can be so positively impactful. So I'm curious, what do you think are some of like the best benefits of a planned community like the one that you're working in and what are some of the areas or spaces where you think it could be better? Yeah, I think I personally experienced the difference between living somewhere that's planned for how the people living there will interact and a place that's not. <laughs> and so this isn't about Salishan specific, it's actually two apartments bordering Salishan, but I share it because I think it's so indicative of an impact that you may not even realize is there because it's just environmental and you don't necessarily see it. But so I lived in, a, in an apartment complex just south of Salishan and in it, all of the home's front doors faced our parking lots. And the idea was, oh, you can keep an eye out on your cars, like nothing sketchy will happen because everyone can see what's going on. And then in the back, there was this giant field with a decrepit playground and, you know, kids running wild. So <laughs> that was where we lived. And it meant that, yeah, there was lots of kids outside, but there often weren't their families families there and you know it was just kind of awkward to have your kids out and be out at the same time or kind of watch them you know there wasn't this kind of porch mentality now meanwhile half a block away I have friends that are at a similar apartment complex they have similar populations of people similar size but it was built so that all of the front doors faced the park and that meant that there were kids outside, they were playing together all the time, parents were on the porch, they could keep an eye on them, somebody had an eye on them, you know, your neighbor did, somebody did. And so there, it, like, there was this pre prevailing sense of safety, connection, and I mean, like, in the summer, when it's so bright for so long, I mean, people would be out to, like, one in the morning, and nobody had an issue with it, because they were all connected, you know, whereas in my apartment, like, you go home at dark, <laughs> like, it's nine, everybody goes inside, mom calls you in. Um, so anyhow, but seeing the differences there, I was like, man, how you build a place really changes how a community is able to interact with that space. I mean, we're talking about same ages, same families, same numbers, same, same cultural background, like, but and blocks away, like in the same neighborhood, totally different in terms of how people use this space. So seeing that made me realize that coming to Salishan and, and working for the Salishan community, that there's such a benefit to having thought out ahead of time why a space is the way it is. Why is it organized that way? Where do you put your little pocket parks? How how far away does someone have to walk to be able to get to a park? Can they walk? You know, like, is it walkable? Like, are there sidewalks? Um, what are the sight lines? Um, I think I, I live just off a of really, one of the really big parks in Salishan, the Parade Park at the bottom of East Salishan Boulevard. And the park is built at kind of a slope. So the houses are on one side but you can see, you can see all the way over to the playground. So my neighbor, they have nine kids. And so their kids are outside in the park all the time and she can see them. So they, you know, they run over to the playground and back and they're, you know, in the, in the lot there. 
And it's just so nice to have that interconnectedness because of the space. Uh, similarly, because there's the schools that are just off the border of the neighborhood or in the neighborhood, having the ability to, you know, have sidewalks all the way throughout so you can get there, or you can, you know, push a stroller with your littles while you're walking the older ones there. Um, I see that all the time too. And so I think having these kind of, um, these designs for you know walkability and for you know who who do you see where are your porch is facing <laughs> that these are all really important things also in the in the Tacoma Housing Authority um, build like the the um, properties that are for their renters they often are in duplexes or triplexes so there's these shared semi shared porches like you know there's little bars between each section but they're you know kind of a shared building with these you know two or three entrances to it which means that like naturally you're cozy with your neighbor like in an apartment and so you get to know the people that are immediately next to you it's not just like you drive into a garage and you never see each other which was kind of the neighborhood I grew up in <laughs> I was I always lamented that like I barely knew my neighbors maybe I knew their dogs but I didn't really know them but here in Salishan it's like oh kids are out all the time youth are out and then I think once our children interact and play like it's very natural for families to meet one another then too and that was one of the reasons that my husband and I wanted to move to the east side in the first place we wanted to be in a place that was diverse where people were outside all the time where the kids got to meet each other and play and where we could get to know other families fairly easily and I think the populations that are drawn to live in this area tend to be ones that are pretty receptive to building community like they want to interact with other people they want their children to be with other people um, and and I think also a lot of the people have come here with the with a knowledge of how how much suffering there is in the world and how challenging life can be and that also I think opens a door to wanting to build connection and community it's just this understanding that we're we're in this together and it, and, it, and life is better if we're if we know each other and if we help one another so as for improvement i think there were a couple of design things that missed the mark <laughs> so for example there is one park in salishan this was this is my this is my pet peeve i mean it's not a huge huge deal but there's one park in salishan that's an amphitheater and it was built to be like a natural little amphitheater. And I was like, well, oh, that's kind of cool. You could imagine there being like, you know, little mini performances, like the youth could do their little spoken word night. Like there's stuff we could do as a community association with a little amphitheater. However, the amphitheater is in a squared off back area. So it's not along any of the major roads. A lot of people don't know it exists. It's behind the houses that are between Q and R and Harper and 44th. So there's actually a square of houses and the back, this is like my old apartment, the back where the cars are is where this amphitheater is. And so like nobody wants to play there because they want to be out the front door. <laughs> like nobody's on their back door. They're out at the front on their porches. So nobody really uses the space. And I think it's a shame. I wish that it was. I've, I've actually walked there with other community artists because we one summer we partnered with the city of Tacoma's um, they had this project for doing outdoor temporary art installations. They were preparing for the Eastside Community Center being open, then they were gonna have to commission artists to put in permanent pieces and they wanted them to be Eastside artists. So they did this training program to train more Eastside artists to be able to create pieces like that. And so they did this temporary gallery and they needed a location. So they came to Salish and we're like, great, we'll put up your pieces, it'll be awesome. So they did that for a summer, but I remember walking with them and being like, and this space, like, look at this awesome amphitheater. Like anybody wanna do anything with it? 
it and like help us activate it. And they also were all kind of like scratching their heads, like how to do something there because it's just not public enough. So that's one of my peeves. Um, the other one, and this isn't necessarily something that we could have planned for, but the buses. So we're, we're a very transit dependent community for the most part as a population. And there's, there's two major um, streets that have that are arterial roads that a bus runs through so along 44th street and then back off the backside off Roosevelt and in the past there were actually more bus stops throughout Salishan and then when the reconstruction happened the buses stopped serving this area of course because nobody was living here and then the way that ridership determines bus stops when everybody moved back in there was no metric to say that people are using the buses there. So when the buses routes were reevaluated, they didn't put them back here because there were no riders, right? Like there's been, there's been a gap where there's no ridership. So it was kind of like a statistical error in like a formula that usually works for neighborhoods, like, right? Like usually neighborhoods aren't fully demolished and fully rebuilt. <laughs> so it makes sense that they didn't have the way of, a, of like seeing that this is what was going to happen. But accidentally, I guess I should say, what happened was now there's only bus stops along 44th and Roosevelt, whereas before it was throughout the neighborhood. So that makes accessibility harder, which also reduces ridership, which then again is a feedback loop to say we don't need more bus stops because we don't have more riders. <laughs> so that's one thing that I also wish could could change is like a, a way to see that actually if we had more accessible stops further, further, up, further south in the neighborhood or north or even in the middle part in the back, like it, it would be easier, especially because there's a little bit of a hill on the front side. So not, not everybody's able to do the full walk <laughs> all the way up to use the bus and or the or the full walk down or they want or they don't want, don't want their kids to walk that far if they were gonna use the city bus to get somewhere those arterial roads also caused a problem on the backside because in the city of tacoma's legal codes you're not allowed to put any sort of speed bump on an arterial road no matter where it is in the city but because our arterial roads run directly through a residential neighborhood um, there's a lot of problems with speeding especially on the backside uh, along Roosevelt, um, folks, you know, just, it's a straight shot. There's nothing to slow you down. So that, you know, cars will just, zoop, you know, all the way that way towards the casino, you know, broop. and the problem is like those houses are built pretty close. And when cars are parked on the street and there's kids playing, like I'm shocked that there hasn't been an accident back there, but people are always like so nervous about it and constantly trying to advocate to the association board in our office. Like, can we please get speed bumps there? And we're like, yes, we would love that. <laughs> but the city codes don't allow that on arterial roads. And uh, and so we can't have them on that side. We have them throughout the rest of the neighborhood. We put them in anywhere else that we saw saw issues, including alleys. But we can't do we can't touch those main roads. So that's my other you know kind of livability challenge is that if you're a family on that street, it's a little bit dodgy for for um, the, how fast the cars go by sometimes. I also wish there was more community gardens because of how popular ours was. I don't know that that was fully planned. There was a plot that got, that we converted into a community garden. Initially, it wasn't. It was just kind of like a side pocket of grassy area that was located behind some of the homes on East R and East 44th. But um, the Salishan Community Health Advocates recognized that that space could be utilized better and that there would be people that would want to do community gardening. So then they, first they turned it into a fruit tree orchard through a little um, grant that they received, but the space was too crowded. So as the trees grew, like they actually didn't have enough space <laughs> to, to, to live in that spot. And they're like, you know what? We could actually probably use the spot even better if we were able to each have our own plot. So then over time we've put in some 40 plots that are there and they like, they go at the start of the planting season. So I wish we had more community garden space because people would use it. That's awesome. It's so interesting to hear your insight. What does community participation look like? Like, how do you get feedback? You mentioned like folks 
um, having concerns with the speeding and all of that? Like, what does that community participation look like? Yeah, absolutely. So the Salish and Association office is staffed every weekday. So, you know, our staff is available for people to be able to come. Well, during the pandemic, we're discouraging coming into our lobby because we don't all want COVID. But regularly, we have these walk-in hours for people to come and we give them coffee and we talk to them. Um, but we also have, uh, you know, phone hours and by email when by, by Facebook Messenger or however people want to communicate, we're open to that. So that's one path for, you know, the, the individual and the bold <laughs> to, to reach out to us. Uh, but then we try and create community spaces that you know, foster some engagement as well. So we have quarterly Salishan town halls. They used to be in person right now, they're virtual, um, where people can come and get kind of updates about our community's infrastructure, safety, environment, social events and gatherings, um, programming, things that might affect the broader east side neighborhood. Um, we usually bring some community partners to that space like Safe Streets. We have a Safe Streets representative that helps our community. Um, our um, community liaison officer, the CLO for the Tacoma police department that helps connect with our community and address our safety questions. Um, and then when it's open, the Eastside Community Center would often have a staff member that would be there as well. So that would be another space where people could, you know, get some updates and then air their questions. Um, also, there's monthly Salishan Association board meetings. And at those board meetings, there's always a neighborhood forum component to every agenda where someone could come and share a question, comment, concern, praise, whatever they want to share. They have two minutes. <laughs> Everybody has two minutes on the floor um, for that uh, agenda item. And there's there's actually two segments. There's one if someone wants to comment on something that's already on the agenda, and there's one later on where they could just do it on whatever topic they want. So we'll have residents that join that um, as well. It used to be in person, right now virtual. And we're actually getting more participation now that it's virtual and people can, you know, to sit on their couch with their chips during it <laughs> instead of having to look nice, find a sitter for the kids and go or whatnot, or drag their kids along with them. Um, so anyhow, so that's a, a collective space. And then personally in my work, I try and find out more about the interests or talents or you know things of different residents would be interested in contributing or learning about together and then working with little teams about those. So for example, knowing that there's so many young people in Salishan, I started early on getting to know like youth, a lot of the high school aged ones in particular. And then we would do these yearly youth summits where we would talk about like, how do we increase youth engagement in Salishan? What does it look like for you to feel safe in the community? What do you want to see happening here? What do you want to do here? <laughs> and with those like kind of lines of questioning, we would meet for a few hours and we would come up with kind of like, well, okay, this year, here's some things that we want to try and focus on. We care about educational opportunities. We care about mentoring leadership opportunities. We want to have more opportunities for health and fitness and outside, and we need to address transportation to be able to access those. <laughs> and uh, let's see, what was the other one? Um, they had, a, they had a fourth area that they were thinking about. Well, maybe it'll come to me in a moment. But so they identified these areas that they wanted to learn about. And then throughout the year, then we would try and create you know, programming or opportunities to address some of those. And then we would revisit it again the following year. Um, so that was like, oh, arts and culture. Did I say that one? Um, so anyhow, so they had, they had these different categories that they would, that they would work on. And I think that that's because I know that not everybody's comfortable to express what they want to do in the same space. Sometimes they need their own special space <laughs> that's like catered to that, what they might need, um, that can give them enough time, floor time or group work time to be able to share out what they're thinking, um, and, you know, articulate some of that. So I like having that space with the youth because then it doesn't to get you know taken over by by voices that might be more articulate um 
so yeah, so that's part of that's part of uh, our efforts. I also do a general all call sometimes. So at the start of this year, I did a general like brain Salatron resident brainstorming meeting. Like anybody join, share your thoughts. Like what do you think went well in previous years that we want to see keep happening? What what did we not really have much interest in that we don't really care if it keeps going? And what are other ideas that we have? And um, so at the start of this year, we did that one virtually, and so people shared things like, yeah, I'd love to see more like outdoor fitness opportunities and ways to engage our seniors in those, and um, also more ways to do like cultural celebrations in the neighborhood because we we're very diverse culturally I think I, I have to get more familiar with the new census data now that it's been released but I know the previous one they talked about there being like up to 50 different languages that were spoken by our residents in the neighborhood so it's like vastly <laughs> vastly diverse uh, and because of that there's all these different types of cultural celebrations that can occur and there have been a smattering of them but we want to see if we can focus more on that um, and, and having more ways to learn about one another's cultures as neighbors. I, I love that, like all the different uh, like feedback loops that you have in place, the level of partnership and collaboration and really, um, you know, centering it around the people and the needs of the community. Um, and obviously, right, just hearing you talk and you've been in the work for a while, you're very passionate about this. You're making me excited about it. I don't live in Salishan. I live over in the Lincoln District. I'm curious, right? So folks living in non-planned communities, so a neighborhood like mine, um, how would we take some of these um, the, these principles and these things that you have established that have been very beneficial for your community and integrate them into non-planned communities? Because I can ask my neighbors, I'm pretty sure no one's down to like demolish and like restructure our neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who wants to write that grant? funding. <laughs> yeah, there's no, I'm just like imagining right now. It's not, I don't think, I don't think it's going to go for us. Um, but how could we take some of these principles um, and, and apply them here? Yeah, I think one thing that I like to emphasize is, yeah, there's a lot of different, like I said, cooks in the kitchen here. There's a lot of different institutions that are looking at this. There's also a lot of different temporary ones too, like UWT usually has a batch of their public health students that come to do projects here because they're really interested in seeing things about the community. So we meet a lot of tick mark boxes for people's grants and research projects. So sometimes I feel like a gatekeeper. I'm like, okay, what are your intentions with my neighborhood? <laughs> you can come in if they're if they're good. But anyhow, I think what that tells me though is that people are always interested in bettering community and people always have things that they can you know, provide for that, that everybody can be a protagonist. And there's different types of protagonists, like, right, there's the individual that might have a specific initiative that they could carry out. There's the community as a whole that kind of has a character beyond just its members that can create, you know, patterns and cultures and an environment that, that, um, that can impact the people that live there. And then also institutions like, you know, educational businesses, all sorts of things, healthcare. Um, and I think all, everybody in all of those parties want improvement like that's that's something that's kind of the baseline of it that's that's where I operate from thinking about things and so then looking at one's own neighborhood you, you could try and think about okay well what are who are the individuals that live here do I know my neighbors they're step one <laughs> do we know each other and then together can we you know think about how we're intentionally building community how are you know how are we going to know one another do we know each other's families do we know who works where do we know who has kids do we know what their educational aspirations are do I pay attention to the kids and what their hopes are for the future <laughs> how do I talk with them so that they feel like it's possible for them to achieve some of those dreams or think about their talents and how they can use them to better the community or the world in some way. So I think there's a lot that can come in those dynamic, meaningful conversations with the people around us. And then in terms of the community as a whole, like are there things that we want to do together that it would be difficult to do individually? Like, hey, we we spied that, you know, some of our 
walkways might be great to make a little community garden patch. Do we want to do a, you know, food is free, you know, raised bed here, or do we, you know, do we want to create a little pea patch? Um, I know the neighborhood my mom lived in, they, they said that they wanted to, to do that. And then they, they looked for like institutions in the neighborhood that might have a little space. And they, they realized, well, there's a church nearby that has a really large field. I wonder if they would let us use part of that field. So they approached the church and they said, hey, we're the, we're the neighbors that live right here. And we want to help our kids learn about gardening. Like, could we build a little pea patch here and, you know, and donate the food to the, to the food bank that's nearby and the, the church loved the idea so they said absolutely you know like we'll help you build the boards you know <laughs> and so then they worked together with this institution to create this little pea patch and now the community was coming together they had a space to positively educate the littles that were there and they made an impact in the you know food access so i think there's also then ways to look at what are the institutions in our neighborhood and and how do we collaborate on these ways that better our neighborhood you know it's a win for the church they have more people on their property they have this activated community space that you know and they can help with the the health of the community both socially and physically by having food that they're able to grow on their property to give out and it's a benefit to the individuals because they have a space to grow food and nurture their kids into the neighborhood it made, it made a positive social space that connected families and, and intergenerationally as well so i think there's ways to look at the the physical space around us and the social space around us and think about how we can use the strengths that exist in any given neighborhood um, and build on those. I think a lot of time we look at we look at situations from a place of deficit where we're just like, man, I wish we had this. I wish we had, you know, an association or a full-time staff that could look for grants or, you know, there's, but there's also like, well, what do we have here? Oh, well, we have all these families that actually known each other a very long time. And, you know, maybe we should throw a barbecue to, you know, invite the new neighbors over or, oh, we have a lot of children and they, they get together all the time maybe we should think about some sort of special project we can do with the kids we should say hey kids you want to help paint this fence here maybe we could do a you know a little mural we could do a little you know art project or i think there's always opportunities for for engaging more and more people in in making a community a, a better and better place to live and if if ever funding is an issue there's a lot of institutions out there that are looking to fund small-scale grassroots projects we've benefited from some of them too even though we're a big big community but uh i remember the um, Children's Museum, they have this grant uh, that they put out, they're called Neighborhood, uh, sorry, and United Way as well. United Way has this Neighborhood Grant and um, there's a scooter grant from the Children's Museum that's all about how to make child-centered communities. And so we use we use both of those to build our little library system inside of South Shan. We're like, okay, people might want be willing to host these. We don't have a library on the east side since it got you know torn down many years back. So then we we have um, you know the ability to get literature out to the community through our own efforts as individuals um, to host little library stands throughout the neighborhood. Through being part of those grant processes, I learned that, oh, most of the people doing it aren't from agencies. They're actually just individual residents or a team of neighbors that are thinking about a project like, oh, we want to build this, but we need materials for the fence. Or, you know, we want to do an art project, but we need the paint. <laughs> um, and so there's lots of opportunities to, to help support community development. Something I really love about that is I see an opportunity for uh, business owners to invest very specifically into communities and neighborhoods, right? Because um, it could be, you know, donations, um, like a grant style um, type of thing. It could also be materials. So like if I have materials that there's a project who um, needs those materials, like I could help invest in my community in that way. Um, and there's just, it feels so regenerative, right? Where you have uh, 
business owners, you have community members, you have nonprofit or social um, social purpose organizations coming together to help the community do better. Because we know that when our neighborhoods and our people do better, the whole community does better. Absolutely. And I've seen businesses also donate space, like the ability to have a space to meet. Because sometimes people don't want to go to one another's homes or you don't know each other yet, or you feel like, oh, I don't have enough space for people to come over for us to consult. Like, because that's the other thing is where where can consultation take place in a neighborhood and how many people can be part of that decision making process um, if you don't have a physical place to be in together. And in Washington, outside can be a little risky depending on the season. <laughs> so having businesses that also want to support that or, 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 you know, educational institutional spaces, health spaces that, you know, you can be like, hey, we're going to meet up at the cafe. Like, well, I'll talk there. That can be helpful. Or, you know, or like churches, like spaces that are meant for people to congregate in, um, literally, um, can be helpful to have some of these discussions and to think about it. I think another thing I've seen that helped communities to progress, not just organized one, you know, these, these ones that were purposefully planned out, but any, any community is having a rhythm of learning together. So say you get together every, every quarter to talk together <laughs> about like, Hey, what are our goals? Like, what are we trying to learn about? What are we trying to do? And then like, let's make some simple plans and maybe we'll take some steps in the next few days just to keep momentum. But then, you know, a few months from now we can come back and be like, wow, that went great. And like, I can't believe we got the pee patch going or like, Oh, I totally forgot to do that. But we did say we wanted to let's try again. <laughs> and just having that rhythm of, of trying new things as a neighborhood or trying to keep learning about it. Cause a lot of the issues that we want to address are not simple ones like the ones the youth at that summit identified were like educational opportunities well that's not like a done we're all educated now you know <laughs> like that's about like ongoing learning spaces or similarly they said well a lot of people look at us and they don't think we have much to contribute in the present they think about our futures but not right now so what we want is we want opportunities to be leaders and we want opportunities to mentor those younger than us we want to be able to volunteer and I was like yes I love it <laughs> me too so then we uh we started to think about programming that would give them opportunities for that but again that's not just you volunteer once and now you're done the rest of your life you know it's about it's kind of mental that you want service to the community to be something central to your life. It's like an organizing feature of why you do what you do is you want to help. Um, and I think looking at that periodically, it, you know, also helps with this kind of rhythm of growth. Of course, in our neighborhood, it helps that we also have people who are paid full time to think about these things. <laughs> in most neighborhoods, you just have to do it in your free time or you have to prioritize time to do it. But, you know, as you were mentioning, like the benefit is, you know, infinite <laughs> when you do start to prioritize time as a community to, to do some of these things and to, you know, invite the engagement of, of more and more people. Because I think anywhere where you have that kind of universal participation, you hear all these wonderful stories of communities where everyone's really activated and, and together and the families all know one another. I mean, that's the ideal, right? People want to move into that. <laughs> people want to foster that because you, you want to be in a space that's so nurturing, that knows everybody, that, that sees capacity in its young people. I, I love that perspective and the intentionality behind it because it, it's true. It's so easy when we're not connected with each other to tell ourselves those stories that we make up about like, oh, my neighbor is so rude. They this, right? Because we're not having conversations. We're not talking. We're not like engaged and um, you know, participating in the successfulness of each other's lives. So I, I really love your perspective and just um, how you mentioned like not operating from a deficit and really more from that abundance space, which is another great regenerative principle. And it can completely change your, your outlook and then how you engage the projects, the works, your community and the things that you're doing. I have a question. Do you think every community should be a planned community? I think there are 
definite benefits to it, but I don't know that it's an achievable structure for every community. Like you mentioned, like, I don't think my neighbors and I want to destroy our house so that we can rebuild <laughs> with a planned environment. That said, I know that there are, you know, I mean, there are people that work in, in public works and city planning and like that's their job, which means that these kind of things must be being made planned all the time, you know, or or there's like innovative um, changes too. like you mentioned, you live in a Lincoln district and they did that whole Lincoln district revitalization plan through the city council that was looking at, yeah, how do we how do we change the way this space looks and feels so that it will improve how our community uses this space and how our businesses are doing and can we get a drive through Starbucks too, please, thanks. So <laughs> I think that having, you know, that kind of thing, vision in mind that, oh, there's always, it's always possible to improve, but it might look different from place to place and the people will look different too, like the resources you have to draw upon. Like I mentioned that old comp apartment complex I lived in and I doubt they're going to do any major renovative changes anytime soon but the youth that lived there started to meet with the middle schoolers and had they had these little groups with them and then they had these little classes for the children and they were thinking about like how do we change the the sense of unity in our community how do we change the justice here how do we change the sense of connection and collaboration and then they decided like oh well we want to build a little a little community garden patch or oh we want to plant flowers to make our neighborhood feel more beautiful to us or we want to have games with the children outside so that we're working collaboratively and they're not fighting or you know i think there are things that you can look at using this using the strengths that you have available to you to be able to make the make those kind of changes you know not everybody can dig up some random spot in the back and, <laughs> and make a garden but that might not be what's needed you know maybe maybe more what's needed is you know getting to know one another i know even though i live and and work in this neighborhood my husband and i have noted during the pandemic how important it is to just know a closer circle of people like i knew people throughout the neighborhood and i was kind of you know like it's kind of the work with the willing situation like whoever the lowest hanging fruits were that i met first like those are the ones that i worked alongside but then we realized well even on our block like how many of our neighbors do we know some of them but how much do we know about them how much do they know about us and and this i think that that's something that's come up from this experience of all being in this pandemic together is that you want to rely on each other a little bit more you're kind of a lot of people are thirstier for connection than maybe we have been before i know we live in a very materialistic society where you can really take care of all your own needs without ever having to you know step out and, and talk to some other folks but you know i think it's it's brought about this awareness of how of how healthy and refreshing and important it is. So we with our little kids, we we made some peanut butter cookies and then we just brought them around to the neighbors and we're like, we're trying to re-meet everybody because we realized we don't all know each other and we kind of moved in and then I had a baby and then I was stuck inside my house and then there was a pandemic. So like, yes, we didn't just move in, but now's as good an opportunity as ever to 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 try and refoster these connections. And people were so excited, you know. I mean, they ran the gamut. Some people were like oh thanks and then some people were like this made my day you know <laughs> so i feel like that opportunity exists everywhere even if it's not a fully planned community and something that i really appreciate that you had shared earlier was that oftentimes a lot of the problems that we as individuals and communities want to solve are big problems and i think an important part of the conversation which you touched on like indirectly, um, but are things like uh, social justice and avoiding gentrification and environmental justice and all of these really, really big systems that cause problems for 
everybody. And I just love how you had said that as we work together, this is how we can combat those issues. And no, we can't solve it all overnight. Um, but if I'm looking at it just as me, an individual, it's impossible. Like it, it truly feels impossible. Um, but when I come together with people who want similar things and who are like ready to work together, it feels more possible. And, and then you look at connecting all of the resources and the, the power that can come from that. And it feels, I don't know, like I'm feeling really motivated and like excited just thinking about it like that. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> and I think that's the point, you know, that it's, it's something that we can all contribute to regardless of if you live in a physical space that was intentionally planned for you to go this direction or not. <laughs> but there's possibility. There's assets to being in a planned neighborhood. So, you know, if that's available to you, go for it. But if it's not, like, there's other ways that you can draw from, as you said, like what's the experience gained there that would be helpful anywhere. And I think that's one of the, you know, one of the things is just seeing everybody as a potential protagonist and that we can all work together and that there's hope that when we all make an effort, we'll, we'll get strengthened and we'll, we'll see doors open and we'll, we'll make progress. However, slowly gained, you know, even steps, little steps, like if you make them rapidly, you know, you could travel a great distance. So there's a lot of uh, possibility for, for change and growth. And I think right now, especially like there's kind of like, I, I told you my background's in history and I feel like there's stages in humanity's arc of history <laughs> where you see like the potential for rapid change is like knocking on the door. And I feel like that's, we're living in one of those times where we're just kind of like in this tumultuous kind of adolescence of humanity where, where there's a lot of old habits that we're trying to leave behind from childhood that don't satisfy us anymore. But we're like at the stage where we could mature into a more progressive youthhood or peaceful adulthood. <laughs> so, you know, people can look at the tumult of that, of that kind of transitional age and be like, oh no, this is impossible to work with. <laughs> or you could look at it and see seeds of potential, <laughs> which is what we can work at, you know, fostering together. That is beautiful. This is a lot of really good stuff. Um, and I want to end by seeing if there's any other information that you would like to share with our listeners. And then I'm going to have one final question for you. Ooh, so I'll keep my information short in case it's a deep question. I was going to say, whatever we are trying to learn about here, everyone is welcome. Everyone's welcome to learn about it with us or to observe our learning from afar. Our social media platforms are open to all to go and see. I think that's something I really like about that platform is that you can share pictures of what's happening in the community and that's always uplifting. There are often perceptions of the East Side and Salish Inn itself and it's hit in its kind of rocky past history that leads people to um, inaccurate social conclusions about our current reality. So I always encourage people to, you know, keep keep investigating what the strengths of your community are and are. And, and as well and whenever you see that we're putting out a public event anybody can come on over and join us so the final question is what is a source of inspiration or uh information or education that you find yourself really uh benefiting from lately I have been part of this training institute called the Ruhi Institute. It's this global educational like distance learning program that has these, these um, it's available like all around the world. And essentially it's made for anybody who wants to think about how they can better their community and be of service to do like a training together to learn how to do that. 
Um, and I really love it. <laughs> and I think a lot of my perspective and insights has come from my experience volunteering with that agency and, and coming to work with middle schoolers through it. Um, there's a program called the Junior Youth Spiritual Empowerment Program that I volunteer with. And it's just talk about inspiration. I think anytime you're able to be of service, you inspire, you get inspired, you know, there's, it's, it's positively um, affects you. And I think from that, I developed this sense of like, oh, we need to have this twofold purpose in life that we develop and improve ourselves and our intellectual abilities and our characters and qualities, but we also develop and better our communities and that those two things are inseparable. Like you don't have to be a perfect person before you make an impact, <laughs> nor do you have to, you know, the other way around, nor do you have to like ignore yourself to do, to do stuff um, out there, but like actually it's, it's intertwined and through service, we're able to do all that together. So that's, that's where I, I get a lot of refilling my cup from <laughs> is the ability to, to walk alongside others on the path of service. So I love that. And I love that mentality. Um, and thank you for sharing your, your wisdom and your experience and your energy and your excitement with us today. It's really neat for folks to be able to learn about what you're doing over at Salishan, as well as take some of these principles um, and figure out how they can apply them to their own lives and their own communities. So thank you. Absolutely. This has been my pleasure. And that's it for today, friends. We hope you've been entertained, inspired, and empowered. If so, be sure to subscribe to the Regenerative Paradox podcast channel and leave us a five-star review. As always, the information provided in this podcast is intended for general education purposes only and not meant for specific business consulting advice. You can learn more about Paradox and Consulting by visiting us at paradoxandconsulting.com or by sending us a message at hello at paradoxandconsulting.com. New episodes air every Friday. We'll see you back then.